0: Welcome back to Week 66 at True Crime B&B. I'm Beth. And I'm Bailey.
1: And today I have the bad story, so I'm going to go first. Mm Mm-hmm. Take it away. Where are we going? I'm going to tell you the story of King Robert Mars II. That's not what he goes by, but that's his real name. Gotcha. Bob Mars was a down-to-earth guy who was born with a regal name. King Robert Mars II was the son of King Robert Mars I and Elaine Mars. He arrived in the world on March 25, 1960 in Kennewick, Benton County, Washington, and had a brother named Mike and a sister named Chrissy. Bob went to Pasco High School, where he excelled in athletics. When he graduated in 1978, he started college at Columbia Basin Junior College, which he completed in 1980. In 1982, he had a son named Bobby, but there's not really any information about Bobby's mom because that relationship didn't last. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, Bob was offered a full-ride football scholarship to the University of Idaho. He graduated from the University of Idaho with a B.A. in Education and a minor in History. He held teaching and coaching positions in Idaho for some time, starting as a substitute teacher, but he relocated back to Washington after several years where he again started as a substitute teacher, and he was hired full-time in the Keona Benton School District. He married Christine Rudolph in 1992, and they had two sons, Kyler and Cody, together. He had a way with kids. He just got them. He understood them. He knew what made them tick. His nieces and nephews called him Crazy Bobby. As his career developed, Bob spent 14 years as the wrestling coach at Keona Benton High School. During his wrestling tenure at Keona Benton, his teams placed in the top ten in the state tournament for six straight years, won their own tournament, produced seven individual state wrestling champions, and lots and lots of additional medalists. So he's just good at everything he does, sounds like. He's really good, and he just had such a way of motivating his kids mm-hmm. to work harder, to do more, and he was a really effective coach.
0: Sounds like he's in the right place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His wrestlers, assistant coaches, the parents, the school administrators, his fellow teachers, and even the coaches and wrestlers from their rival schools all had nothing but praise for Coach Mars' philosophy, his good heart, his ability to positively motivate kids in whatever sport he was adjacent to at the moment. He expected a lot, but he did it with kindness. Bob treated every student like they were an important person, and if they messed up he would give every single one of them a second chance. He was universally loved as a teacher and a coach and just as a good human. For a time, he was also president of the Greater Richland Little League. He participated with 4-H. He volunteered with intramural football. He loved bowling and softball. He volunteered with DARE. This was a man who was involved not only in the community, but in the lives of his colleagues, his athletes, and his students. Mm -hmm. So Bob had been there for 14 years as the wrestling coach at Keona Benton High School. And he carried the memory and love of all those students and athletes when he resigned as the wrestling coach there and took the job as wrestling coach at Kennewick High School in the year 2000. He continued to teach middle school at Keona Benton, and he was also still an assistant football coach at Keona Benton High School. Okay. So he's a very, very busy guy.
0: Yeah, he's stretched all over the town, sounds like.
1: He is, but he was handling it, you know. He was covering it all and doing a great job. On Saturday, September the 4th, 2004... Bob, now again, he's an assistant football coach at Keona Benton High School, so he took videotape of the Keona Benton High School's 25-0 victory in their first football game of the year over to the home of the school principal. Mm -hmm. There was a gathering there. The other coaches, the coaches' wives, some football parents were gathered at Principal Rick Linehan's house to watch the game tape together. Bob's wife, Chris, had also brought their sons Kyler and Cody to the gathering But it was getting a little bit late for them, and they left a few minutes after 11 o'clock p.m. because they wanted to finish packing and preparing for a vacation at the beach, which was supposed to start on Sunday morning. So the rest of the group finished watching the game tapes, and they talked about the good things they saw, the bad things that they wanted to make note of, and they worked up a list of things that the team could work on in the upcoming weeks. Mm -hmm. At 11.30 p.m., Bob said he also wanted to head out because he was tired and he needed to get some sleep before leaving on vacation in the morning. So Bob took the videotape and left the principal's house and headed back to Keona Benton Middle School to return the tape since he was leaving for vacation in just a few hours. Sunday morning, Chris Mars called Principal Lenahan to say Bob had not arrived home and wondered if for some reason he might still be there. This was alarming since he had taken off from the house at eleven thirty PM. They didn't immediately know that he had gone to the school to return the game tape, so each of them got in their cars and drove the assumed route that he would have taken between the Mars house and the Linehan house, looking for any sign of Bob, but they saw nothing. The principal noticed some tire tracks that seemed to run off the road, but he did stop to check it out and there was nothing there to see. There was no car, no person, nothing. Hmm. With no clues of where to look, the principal decided to go to the middle school in case the coaches had set a meeting for that morning that he didn't know about. When he pulled to the back of the school, he saw Bob Mars's white pickup truck was there, and he was immediately concerned. He drove closer to the truck and saw that one of the windows was shattered, and it looked as if the truck had been tossed. So Principal Linehan sided with caution and called 911 and headed into the school to look for Bob. What he found inside shocked him. Bob Mars was lying in a pool of blood in the school hallway, still holding the football game tape in his hand. Bob was already dead. His autopsy later showed that he had been stabbed once in the abdomen and that he had bled out so quickly he just didn't have time to get to a phone to call for help. At first, there were no suspects or leads, but the Benton County Sheriff's Office assigned more than 25 people to systematically try to find something. Investigators also noticed that a separate police report had been filed earlier on Saturday evening stemming from an incident near the Keona Benton Middle School. A 15-year-old had been near a restaurant across the street from the school when two other teenagers that he didn't know had demanded money. He had refused, and the two boys had chased him until they gave up. He then made the police report. Hoping for some kind of connection between the two incidents, police visited the restaurant that was located across the street from the middle school, and it was determined that one of the boys allegedly involved in the attempted robbery was dating a girl who worked at the restaurant.
0: Well, that's just a bad idea.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Tracking through all of this, they learned the names of the two suspects in the attempted robbery. The two boys had traveled on Saturday night from Kennewick to the restaurant so 16-year-old Robert Suarez could visit his girlfriend there. Jordan Castillo was 14, and both of them were from Kennewick. As the boys were questioned separately on the attempted robbery, they admitted that they had been in the area on Saturday night. After Jordan Castillo was told Robert Suarez's version of events, he realized that he was getting thrown under the bus, and that was when he confessed. Mm-hmm. The boys had been in Benton City with no way back to Kennaway. They had noticed Bob's truck pulling into the parking lot at the middle school and decided they were going to confront the driver and then steal the truck. Mm. Suarez made Castillo, the 14-year-old, shake hands on it so that he would not back down and he would go through with this the stealing of the truck. So the boys walked to where the truck was parked and approached Bob Mars in the parking lot made up a reason to talk to him, and they asked him to give them 50 cents so they could make a phone call. This was just a ploy to make contact, after which they intended to rob him and steal the truck. Mm -hmm. Bob, being the good-hearted person, always willing to give someone a chance and to try to help, actually offered to let them come inside of his modular classroom which was a single prefabricated classroom that sat outside of the main building. I'm sure most people know what those are now, Mm -hmm. because every school is getting overrun with too many students now. That's
0: true, they're all rebuilding and expanding now. Yeah,
1: and if they can't afford to do that, they have to buy these little modular classrooms Mm -hmm. that just sit out back. So he offered to let them come inside of his modular classroom and make use of the classroom telephone that was in there. The boys did come inside and they did use the phone, and then all three of them walked back outside. Jordan Castillo, for some reason, then pulled his hunting knife and stabbed Bob in the abdomen. Bob, an athlete to the end, took off running. Even with a fatal wound, and made it into the main school building. Partway down the hall, he collapsed in the hallway and died of blood loss. Since Bob had gotten inside the main building along with his car keys, the boys were still outside and unable to steal the truck, so they used a rock to break the window of Bob's truck and rifled through it. They were looking for anything of value.
0: Okay, so they didn't... Okay, that makes sense. For some reason, when you first started talking, I thought that they had attacked him from outside the truck while he was in the truck, but that makes more sense. They just wanted to rob the vehicle.
1: Okay. Well, I actually read several accounts that didn't put the timeline in the correct order, Mm -hmm. and they made it sound like he was attacked inside the main school building. Okay. But on case mine, I actually found the narrative of the court hearings, and that explained what the real sequence of events was. Did they have cameras... This was 2004, and I don't think every school had cameras, yeah. I, and especially probably not out back.
0: That makes sense.
1: Maybe inside the school they may have had them, but...
0: Or, like, major areas like the cafeteria, not necessarily maybe the hallway, so. maybe.
1: Yeah, there was no mention of it, so I don't know that for okay. sure. Fair enough. The boys were still outside. They still wanted to seal the truck, but they didn't have the keys, so they rifled through it. They were just looking for anything of value, and they ended up finding his cell phone, which he had left in the truck because he was only going to be at the school for a minute, they stole his cell phone, they stole some cash, and they stole a box of crackers. Then they used Bob's cell phone to actually call someone to pick them up and to take them back to Kennewick. So I don't know who they actually called when they were inside the modular classroom, but they did use the phone in there too. Mm-hmm. As the police heard the confession from Jordan Castillo, they recognized that this scenario lined up with some physical things they also were noticing about him. He had a deliberate looking cut down the side of his face that went from his hairline down over his eyebrow and to the bottom of his jaw. Damn. Just a big cut right down the front of his face. Long cut too. Yeah. He also had a new gang tattoo on the skin between his thumb and index finger. Police then suspected that the two teenagers had been out looking for a target as part of Castillo's gang initiation. (laughs)
0: Those are dumb.
1: For sure. The first teenager that they had tried to rob had been lucky and he escaped without getting robbed, and especially without getting stabbed. Well, they were lucky they were in a semi-public place, though, Out, maybe out in the street, but at least right, right outside the restaurant. Right, there's probably less chance they would have actually stabbed him in front of the restaurant when yeah. there were other people around. The murder weapon was this hunting knife, which was found three days later after the murder on the ground outside the school where Castillo just tossed it before they took off. The irony that Bob had been going out of his way to try to help kids he thought needed help, which he would have done for any of the hundreds of kids that he had mentored, lifted up, empowered, and coached over the years, is that he would have done anything to help these two, but instead they just took his life on a whim. Another irony is that the two killers were from Kennewick, which is the high school where Bob was now the wrestling coach, and had been for four years. So the Benton City community was devastated. In a few hours of time, they had gone from this excited elation of winning their first football game, and now they have the agony of this senseless murder of a fixture of their community. Someone precious and irreplaceable, just gone in an instant. A good and loving husband, gone. A devoted father of three, gone. A mentor, teacher, coach, steadfast and warm colleague, gone. Mm -hmm. They wept. They set up memorials. They tried to support the family he had left behind. They held a candlelight memorial where they shared their remembrances and their love for Bob, and this memorial was attended by over a thousand people. The two teenagers were arrested at first for attempted theft, and later that week, formal charges were filed against them in the murder of Bob Mars. Robert Suarez was charged as an adult for first-degree murder. Remember, he's 16. Mm -hmm. With the assertion that Suarez had encouraged Castillo to commit the crime of robbery, which resulted in the murder, and that condition amounts to first-degree murder. If you kill someone in the commission of another crime, that's first-degree murder. Yep. Jordan Castillo also agreed to be charged as an adult with aggravated first-degree murder and first-degree attempted theft. And he had agreed to the adult charges because he received charging concessions, and I don't know what those concessions were, Mm -hmm. but they agreed not to charge him as harshly if he agreed to be charged as an adult. Okay. Castillo was convicted in November 2005 and was sentenced to 29 years and 9 months, He appealed the conviction under several issues in 2008, but his conviction was affirmed. At the beginning of that same year, it had taken only three hours for jurors to find Suarez guilty. He was sentenced to 26 years and eight months. He spent the first nine months in a juvenile correctional facility and then was transferred to the adult system. He later appealed the conviction under several issues, just like Castillo had, but the conviction was reaffirmed and his sentence was upheld. In 2022... Suarez requested resentencing because he was a minor at the time that he had been originally sentenced, and new legislation by Washington State Supreme Court specified that courts need to consider a defendant's young age in sentencing decisions. Chris Mars was in court for this hearing, and she carried with her Bob's ashes. She said to the judge, Bob's ashes are still all this family gets to walk away with today, Your Honor. Please don't take away Bob's justice. This resentencing hearing has again ripped open the eighteen-year-old wound much like ripping a Band-Aid from unhealed flesh. And that wound will never heal. So, of course she feels that way. Chris Mars did acknowledge that Suarez's family is also hurting, but that the facts of the case do not warrant resentencing. And the judge agreed with her. The court decided not to allow resentencing, and as of now, both are still incarcerated. Robert Suarez is now 35 and in the Airway Heights Correction Center, and Jordan Castillo is now 33 and in the Monroe Correctional Complex.
0: That's wild. This happened in 2004, and they were such kids that they're not much older than me now. That's... That's right. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, it does make you realize how young they were, but also the fact that they were so young makes me think, yeah, you need to be
1: in jail for a long time because... Yeah. What would you have done if you were 19, 20, you know? Suarez's attorney made that argument that, well they were 16 and 14 at Mm -hmm. the time that they committed this crime and they didn't have a well-developed moral compass or whatever Mm -hmm. and that they had developed over the years, they had developed a sense of right and wrong and, I mean, they weren't appealing together, so he was really only talking about Suarez. But the fact is, if you were that screwed up in 2004 at the age of 16 and now you've been in prison for 19 years... Yeah, It's hard for me to believe that now you're going to be a good guy. Because prison doesn't usually make people better.
0: Yeah, I mean, sure, they regret it because they're here. But once they get out, that doesn't mean they're going to be like, man, I wish I'd never done that. You know, it's not the same thing as being remorseful and, and learning empathy. And you just can't. You can't learn empathy. If you never had it, then you're not just going to develop it
1: because you did jail time. Suarez sorry. did make an apology and made it sound as if he was sorry that this had ever happened. And mm-hmm. maybe he is because he's lost the rest of his life to it, basically. By the time he gets out, yeah, he's going to be in his 40s. Of course, he wishes it hadn't happened because he wished he wasn't there. Yeah, But when he gets out... He's going to be in his 40s. He's going to have no life skills. He's going to have no job skills. So what is the chance that he's going to rehabilitate and live the straight and narrow life now?
0: That's true. I mean, honestly, just for his well-being, he probably is better off just staying in prison at that point.
1: It's a double-edged sword because you want to punish people and put them in a place where they have to think about what they did. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he's in there so long and he's going to come out as such a hardened criminal now. Obviously, they were somewhat hardened criminals before they went in. Otherwise, this wouldn't have happened. But now, I don't see how there's any chance that he can ever just live a normal life.
0: It is hard, because you don't want to just let people get away with it, but you also don't want to give up on people. And it's, I don't know how to do both. I don't know how to just...
1: Right. I just don't think that he knows how to live like yeah. a normal person. Agreed. This loss caused Bob Mars's community to mourn him, both privately and publicly. He had really touched a lot of lives, and his death left a huge void for untold numbers of people. There's still a page dedicated to his memory that was set up by the Keona Benton wrestling community. One comment on that page stood out to me as the epitome of what Bob seemed to be. Someone named John Hogg said this, If you ever wanted your kid to have a coach, he's the one you'd want it to be. He made it fun. I've never seen kids work so hard as to please him. And I just think that speaks volumes for the kind of motivator and mentor that he was. Just think of all the additional kids he could have helped turn their lives around and become someone that they would be proud to be and that their parents could be proud of. After this shocking murder, there were fundraisers organized to help Bob's family financially in the short term and to help save for their son's college educations. His oldest son, Bobby, went to the Marines and his other two boys, who were 9 and 11 when he died, are between 25 and 30 now. And they lost such important years with him. Chris lost her life partner, her supporter, her person. Her grandchildren will never get to know this amazing guy who could have been their grandpa, should have been their grandpa. Nothing can make up for those kinds of losses ever. Bob was also inducted into the National Teachers Hall of Fame and is inscribed in the National Memorial to Fallen Educators, which is located in Emporia, Kansas. He only lived 44 years, and he should have had a lot more. We lose these amazing people in these terrible crimes because these amazing people put themselves out there trying to help, reaching out to people who they Mm -hmm. think need help, trying to be there to better the community. And I think in some ways they do comprehend that being so open and brave is risky. But they do it anyway because they know that someone has to be the person who tries to make a difference. And I think that's who Bob Mars was. He did make a difference to hundreds and hundreds of people. And he is still missed today and he will always be missed. It's poignant when you hear about someone like Bob Mars because everyone, everyone had something good to say about
0: him. It's always the good ones. It's always the teachers that like had your back
1: that this kind of shit happens to. And that's what I was trying to say. And Mm -hmm. he didn't even know these two kids. But he saw these kids. They're away from home. They're trying to get home. Okay, I know how to help you. Let's go inside. You can use my phone. That's awful because those are the people that are trying to better the world and they get killed and it's just so senseless and tragic. So what is your story today? My story today, it is
0: sad, but it's also infuriating. Let's just You got the upper story, right? I've got the upper story, but okay. In 2020, Holden White was an 18-year-old openly gay man who had just gotten his first apartment in Lafayette, Louisiana. All right. He was a student at Louisiana State University studying theater to be a future theater teacher. Okay. He had a part-time job working at a restaurant. They didn't say what he did. I assume just a waiter or something like that to help him pay for school. At the time, he was using a popular dating app for gay and bisexual men called Grindr. And he had met up with men on this site before. It was not a big deal. He knew the drill, basically. In 2020, he met a 19-year-old on that app named Chance Seneca, and the two began frequently talking on and off, and they never decided to meet, but after a month or so, they finally said, you know what, I have a good feeling about you, let's go ahead and set something up. Okay. Holden, who had just moved into his brand new apartment by himself, said, hey, I have a place all to myself, you come over here, we can play video games, watch a movie, whatever you want. And Chance told him, I can't come over tonight, but in a couple days, my dad, who he lived with, was going to be out of town, so come over to my dad's house, and we'll have this whole place to ourselves." And Holden agreed that that would be a
1: good date. Even if you have been talking for a month, mm-hmm. you should still meet somewhere publicly.
0: And yeah, Holden is the first one to say that now. Okay. Yeah. A couple days later, that day where the dad was going out of town, Holden said, okay, I'll come on over to your house, and Chance Argued with him on that and said, "Actually, I want to come pick you up and take you to my house." Oh boy! And Holden said, "I'd really be more comfortable if I just drive myself." And Chance is like, "No, I want to pick you up," and really insisted. And Holden said, "Fine," and allowed him to come pick him up at his apartment.
1: I just know that, especially the LGBTQ community. Yeah,
0: you don't. Know they have a lot
1: of people go. trying to set them up. Mm-hmm. And heard it before, and we'll hear it again. Yeah.
0: On June 20th, 2020, around 7pm, Holden walked out of his apartment complex into the parking lot and got into Chance's car. Holden brought with him his Playstation, he had it in a backpack, and Chance had at his house a bunch of Xbox games and an Xbox. So they said, this way we can play whatever game on whatever system we want to throughout the evening. Okay. And they headed over to Chance's house. Finally together, Holden said that they made small talk the whole way to Chance's house, but it was very uncomfortable and awkward, and he kind of just shrugged that off as, okay, it is a first date, we've been talking so much on this app, it is kind of weird to be seeing him in person and talking, so he didn't let that freak him out. The men finally got up to Chance's bedroom in the house, and Holden began reaching into his backpack as Chance left the room for a second. He said he was going to the bathroom real quick. And so Holden's just unpacking his games in the system out of his backpack. And out of nowhere, he feels himself just being yanked backwards onto the floor. And quickly, he realizes that at some point, Chance had walked back in and had a big electrical cord and had wrapped it around his throat and was now holding tightly behind him, Uh, suffocating him. uh, Well, strangling, I guess. He did his best to fight back and loosen the cord, but was not able to get a hold of him. He was behind him, you know? And then he eventually lost consciousness from this. It's unclear how much time passed with Holden unconscious, but as he came to a little bit later, he saw that he was naked in the bathtub and it was slowly filling with ice cold water. Chance was above him and in the process of slitting Holden's left wrist with a knife. Ugh. He continued through his left wrist and then eventually moved on to the right wrist, slitting that one too. And eventually, this is when Chance moved on to the torturing phase of things Holden is in the process of dying. Now he wants to torture him as much as possible in the meantime.
1: What the fuck?
0: So he takes that knife that he had slit Holden's wrists with and starts taking the tip and poking it just far enough into his neck and then twisting it. Mm. And he did this a total of six times. And he somehow missed the carotid. I don't know how he did that. But, and all of that Holden was awake through. But eventually, again, now weak from the oxygen deprivation and also extreme blood loss and pain. And starting to get hypothermia. I'm sure, yeah. Holden began fading in and out. And he said he kind of saw glimpses and tiny, short little two-second clips of Chance in the aftermath of the torture and all of this. And he said he looked up at Chance and he just had a look on his face Like, I can't believe I just did that. He looked shocked of what he'd just done. And then everything went completely black for Holden. Oh my
1: god, that poor kid.
0: The next time Holden woke up, it was from the bright fluorescent lights of his hospital room at Ochsner Lafayette General Hospital, where he had been in a three-day coma. So this is June 23rd now that he wakes up, finally. He found out he was really lucky to have survived this the strangulation that he'd endured, it had popped almost every single blood vessel in his face. Oh my god. Every single one. He also had the six stab wounds and twist wounds in his neck that they had to sew back up. He had at some point been beaten in the back of his head because he had a lot of blunt trauma to the back of it. And then his wrists had been cut so deeply, they believed Chance had been trying to sever through them all the way, but could not make it.
1: I don't even know what to say about that. (sighs) Yeah.
0: Holden would remain hospitalized for the next month as he slowly started to piece together the memories. He didn't have all of these memories when he immediately came to. It kind of came back over time. But he learned that after Chance had attacked him and believed that Holden had died, he had called the police and then waited out front for them. He basically told the 911 operator, I just killed a man. I need you to come pick me up. Holy crap. And then they got there. The police got there. We're like, oh shit, Holden's got a pulse and they were able to save him. Holden actually grew really frustrated in the coming months after this, while he was obviously just trying to stay alive and heal. But the police were completely leaving him out of the loop. They weren't providing him any evidence. Like, even when the pre-trial started, for chance, they'd never even let him know that the trial process was starting at all. He found out on Facebook or something like that, somebody posted an article about the trial starting. And so Holden got pissed and called the police and said, why wasn't I notified? I would like to attend that. Didn't they have some sort of a victim's advocate assigned to him? I think they probably have. They're supposed to, but they did not. Not only did they not tell him this was all starting, and they ended up telling him once he called, they said, Oh, well, it doesn't concern you anymore. And was like, No, it doesn't. He knows where I live. It does concern me. Are you kidding me? Chance at this point was being charged with second degree attempted murder and had already pled not guilty during that pretrial that Holden missed. How's the second degree? And he's pleading not guilty after you called and
1: confessed? I guess maybe it's second degree because he made a deal.
0: Maybe because that, and then also he called the police on himself, maybe. I don't know. They Doesn't were being changed what he did. I know. Also, during this whole process, Holden found out that since he'd been in that coma for three days. During that, the entire time, the police never asked for a rape kit to be done to help hopefully get more evidence so that if Chance changed his mind in the trial that, no, I didn't do it, I just found him like that or something like that. I just think if this was a woman who had met a guy on a dating app And this had happened to her and she'd been found in this state. Absolutely a rape kit would have been done. And I think that's bullshit. The police didn't even think to
1: help him out by performing that. Just saying. Was there any reason to believe that he had actually sexually assaulted him? There were so many hours. He didn't have any idea.
0: Yeah, he didn't know, but he was in so much pain and on so many drugs. How would he, you know? Right. The police also refused to consider the attack as a hate crime. They wouldn't add that charge to the charges against Chance, stating that they didn't believe that was the motive at all. However, when Holden was in the hospital, in his hospital bed, he decided to do a little research on his own, this Chance Seneca that he had met up with, and he searched that name on Facebook. It was his real name. And there was a second profile he had made months prior with this profile picture as Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: Oh, wow. Is Chance a gay man? So either he is a self-loathing, closeted gay man, or Mm -hmm. he saw Holden as a smaller, weaker man and thought he could take control of him. I
0: don't think that's clear which one that is.
1: Right. But... So I don't know how hard it would be to prove it as a hate crime, but I don't think you can rule it out.
0: Finally... Holden, this entire time, was so adamant that the police were dropping the ball, even in his horrible state, trying to heal, trying to figure out how he's gonna go back to school. He can't work anymore. He doesn't have any hands, like, basically that work anymore. He had to relearn
1: those. Yeah, that's gonna be quite a recovery.
0: Yeah, so he's got quite a bit going on, and still, he stepped out and said this needs to be handed over to somebody else to prosecute this guy because they're not taking it seriously, and this guy is, is a danger That's to right. anybody in the LGBT community here. And
1: maybe beyond that community. Truly. I'm, I don't truly. think you can say a guy who would do this wouldn't do this to anybody.
0: hmm Holden fought for this, and eventually it got handed over to the FBI because of his social media outpour for help. Good job, Holden. Since his attack, Holden has relearned the use of both of his hands, except his right hand is his dominant hand. And he's only gained about, I think they said 20% of functionality in his left hand, but since luckily he is right-handed, he can make do for now. Okay. And he had to switch over to community college in the meantime. People donated online after hearing his story and raised over $100,000 for his expenses, which sounds like a lot, but when you consider he's already got school debt and he's got yeah rent due every month and medical bills, that's really
1: right. And it's probably going to be a while before he is fully functional in a way that he can support <laughs> himself adequately.
0: And with that suffocation, he's just really lucky that he even
1: didn't could have brain go damage. back to
0: college. Yeah, and be himself again. Wow. Yeah. After it was turned over to the FBI, they decided to come in and interview him. Chance completely confessed and admitted. That he had intended to kill Holden and then dismember him after his death. And furthermore, he had been planning to eat his body parts, just like his idol, Jeffrey Dahmer. And that once he was done with Holden, he had a plan about how he was going to continue doing this to other gay men in the community afterwards.
1: So there's no way in hell that he doesn't have... Some kind of mental issue. Sexuality issue. Yeah. I don't think that you could be a straight person if you have this unconquerable urge to eat people of the same sex. There's something grotesquely sexual about that.
0: I've never thought of it like that, but you're right, because I don't know of any cannibals or people who have done this and then cannibalized their victims who have done it to somebody of a sex they were not attracted to.
1: Right. So, you're right. Why but, did why did the guy call the police? Why did he ultimately call the police?
0: We don't know. And I think the general consensus, at least from Holden's perspective, when he, after all of this torturing and all of that was done, he saw those snippets of looking up into Chance's face, and he said he looked like he just could not believe what he had just done. Based on that, it seems like maybe thought he could keep doing this and thought this was what he wanted and then did it and now he's in the reality of the aftermath and yeah. he was like, I can't handle this. I yeah. don't feel the way I thought I would. This
1: is not what I thought it was going to be. This is not the glamorous, exciting thing that I had Yeah, hoped. I don't
0: feel powerful. I feel really fucking scared now. And
1: <laughs> Yeah, and what I've done is just horrific and mm-hmm. I really don't think I should do this again. Wow.
0: Yeah. Chance pled guilty, and on January 25th, 2023, so not too long ago, he was sentenced to 45 years in federal prison for kidnapping and attempted murder, as well as the
1: hate crime charges on top of that. Well, I'm glad that the FBI got involved.
0: Me too, because this guy, if he had gotten a slap on the wrist from this, who's to say he might have been freaked out after the first time, but then once he's scared, gets arrested, gets two years, gets out, or something like that, now he's like, what do I have to be scared about? Just two years, and then I get to do this again.
1: Yeah, and then all of a sudden they have a string of unsolved disappearances of
0: gay men of
1: gay men in Lafayette, Louisiana. Wow. Yeah, and we don't really have a whole lot
0: of men survivors on here.
1: No, we don't. So go Holden. We don't have a lot of men survivors. So I'm glad you found Holden because what happened to him was awful, yeah. and I'm I'm glad that he's coming through it.
0: Yeah, that's all I got today. I'm that sorry.
1: Chance needs punched in the freaking throat. Okay, so okay. episode 66 is about done, unless mm-hmm. you have anything you want to add. Nope. I don't, because I'm on drugs, and I'm just tired, and I want to go lay down and take a nap. I'm
0: stinky, I'm ready for a shower. Feel free to check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at... True Crime b Or you can shoot us an email at Pod at gmail.com.
1: That's right. And if you have a second, could you please go and rate and review us somewhere, wherever you are listening... Especially on Apple. Those mm-hmm. reviews are very, very helpful in helping people to find us. Yep. So we will see you next week, guys, for episode 66. Ooh. Oops, I... that's a lie. Episode 67. 67. See you next week, guys. Oh, bye. Bye. It's really hard to thump a watermelon with your hand on the phone. <laughs> oh, well. Wow.
0: Go, oh, Billy. Come on, let's cheer for me when editing. Go Bailey.
1: Woohoo woo You can you can you can you can you can, you can, can do, do, do it. it Just for the record, the drugs I was on were muscle relaxers. Kids, don't take drugs.